Hey there listeners, welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who aren't quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Ashvin, I've got Brian on the phone, and on this week's episode we're going to be reviewing Sinister, the 2012 supernatural horror film directed by Scott Derrickson and starring Ethan Hawke and Juliet Rylance. This movie follows an author who finds films of murders that puts his whole family in danger. Uh, and I picked this one because uh, someone recently mentioned it on our one-year anniversary poll, right, Brian? Yeah, I think his name was Andrew on Twitter. He mentioned that uh, I think the question was, was a movie you saw as an adult that really stuck with you or like freaked you out? And he's, he mentioned Sinister and specifically the kill tapes. Oh, yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. I, it's weird because I saw this one years ago and all I remembered was is a bunch of like Ethan Hawke walking around in dark hallways. Uh, so I, when I saw that comment, I wasn't really sure what they were talking about, but I feel like after rewatching it, there's definitely some pretty horrific scenes in this. Yeah. So I know we released these out loud of order, but I was just listening to the draft of uh, the anniversary episode to make sure it sounded okay. You sent it to me today. And I noticed you said that you didn't remember that. And I'm like, how the hell do you not remember these? <laughs> yeah, I, I think you, you blocked them out on purpose, man. These I think so. some hardcore stuff. Yeah, I think it was just one of those painful things you see and try to block out of your mind. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, yeah, the most memorable part for this was, and I feel like a lot of the film is like just Ethan Hawke, like walking around late at night with like a bat in his hand. Uh, I mean, that, that does happen for a long time, right? Yeah, I mean, there. I mean, uh, he is like you only read two actors. I mean, there are more people in this movie, but he sure. is the bulk of the screen time. It's just him reacting to these videos and trying to figure out the crime. It's like a he's a true crime writer, and so he's trying to unravel this mystery. So yeah, a good, a good chunk of the movie is his reaction. Yeah. Right. And unfortunately, he's like a pretty good actor. I, I think so. It's, it's not a bad guy to spend a lot of time with. Yeah, man, I love Ethan Hawke. Yeah, really? I, I feel like I haven't seen enough of him uh, to have like a strong opinion. But you know, uh, I can't. I can't say I've seen him in a ton of stuff. But uh, me and my high school friends used to watch Training Day over and over mm-hmm. again. Oh I love yeah, doing that. right. Yeah, that's a classic. Yeah. Uh, apparently, a lot of people mistake him for the guy from Sugar Ray, uh, Mark McGrath. <laughs> and so he signs a lot of his autographs, uh, Mark McGrath. And Mark McGrath does the same thing. He signs a lot of his autographs, Ethan Hawke. I th- I really? That That's a fun. nice nice fun fact. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a good one. Uh, so this story, I guess, was inspired by one of the writers actually had a nightmare after after watching the movie The Ring uh, of like a family of four hanging from a tree, which is like an image we see a lot in this movie. Um, and, and it's cool. There, there are a lot of parallels, actually, with this story and something like The Ring. Yeah, I guess there are. Um, what are some some of the similarities that you noted? Well, I was thinking like genre wise, and, and both have to do with like someone watching a tape, and that like being the way like that the possession gets to you, or the thing that sets off the incarnation, and just and then then kind of like how it spread as well. Like it goes from one house to another, and in the ring, like you can pass the tape on. So I feel like it followed yeah. like a lot of similar rules. Yeah, I guess it does. I guess I don't. I, I kind of forgot that it the end. It does make it seem like the tape is is how this is kind of passed on. And yeah, they're both the main characters are trying to unravel a mystery based on the tape that they saw. Yeah, yeah, it, it is very similar. All right. I yeah. See so, and, and I think in the ring, like I've, in the past, you've mentioned that the ring uh, kind of qualifies as techno horror. You still think so? Uh, 
I don't know, to tell you the truth. It it, it could be mentioned in the conversation. I don't know if it qualifies or not. Yeah. Yeah, so it kind of made me wonder if this one also does. Um, But I guess this one's also also kind of like a snuff film, right? Like, I I know the topic of it is a lot of snuff, but would, would you consider this movie a snuff film genre? Yeah, you know, it almost is, um, if that could be a, a subgenre. I mean, I think there's just movies that use it to to grisly and terrifying effect, like 8mm or uh, even Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Oh, yeah, right. So even though it's not a subgenre, technically, I, I think it's a tag you could put on this movie. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, because we, we see a lot of deaths happening in, in this one. I, actually, that's one thing that I thought was kind of interesting because you're watching him like watch these tapes of murders and it kind of like puts you almost in a similar position as him because you're watching like uh, it, it kind of makes you like kind of a voyeur in the sense. Uh, right. I, I don't know if you felt that at all. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, a lot of as we watch more and more horror movies, you do kind of think about the topic of voyeurism and like what you're actually watching and why you're watching it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's kind of doing right. the same thing. Although, I mean, it's a different watching something real is, is a whole new ball game. Yeah, sure. For sure. <laughs> Can argue with that. Uh, so, th- uh, th- this director, I think he's actually done like a number of horror movies. Uh, he's, he was, uh, tied to the last urban legend. I think the final cut exorcism of Emily Rose. Didn't someone just recently mention that? Yeah. I think uh, another listener mentioned that is a movie that, um, scared them a lot when they were older. Oh, I feel like that was Jordan. I can't remember now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, which after, after watching this kind of makes me want to go back and see that if it's the same guy. And then, uh, I think most recently he's done Dr. Strange. Sinister, I guess has a sequel. Have, have you read anything about the sequel? Do you know if that was a success at all? Uh, no, I don't know anything about the sequel. Yeah, me neither. Um, this one though, it seems like it's, it's done fairly well. It, it you know, has a budget of 3 million. It's earned about 87 million at the box office and on Rotten Tomatoes, it's like close to 70%. So that's pretty good for a horror film, I think. Yeah. I mean that, that budget to box office ratio is, is solid. Yeah. Yep. That's pretty and impressive. I was kind of surprised to see that big of a box office number. I remember this movie coming out, but I didn't think it was that big. I know. I know. Uh, there was a really cool thing in Chicago. I remember the year it came out, uh, there's like a cemetery and like some night over the summer, they, uh, previewed this movie at the cemetery, which I thought would have been a really cool way to see it. I I didn't make it out, but yeah, cool setting. I feel like Amy Uh, did some of that, like went and saw movies at that cemetery. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I I feel like maybe that's who I heard it from. Yeah. Uh, Um, oh, I I thought it was kind of cool that, so some of this movie, uh, you know, as we mentioned, uh, it's. Ethan Hawke and his character watching snuff films on eight millimeter. And I, I guess a lot of this film, uh, like those scenes they were actually shot through eight millimeter, which that was kind of a cool effect. Uh, yeah, that's crazy. And it really, it really worked. I mean, the, it added to the graininess and grittiness of those, of the snuff film parts of the movie. Yeah. And like, even like the opening, uh, noise that you hear when the film opens is like the sound of one of those, uh, what do you call those, like film projectors or something running? Yeah, yeah, the projector running. Yeah. And he keeps waking up in the night to hear the projector running. Yeah, right. It's a constant theme throughout. Uh, Um, Any other interesting background that you found on this? You know, I just wanted to note, I know that we've talked about the pronunciation before. This is a a Blumhouse film, (laughs) and it's Blum, not Bloom. Oh, are you serious? Yeah. How, How did you confirm? Did you talk to Jason Blum? 
I called Jason. Um, yeah. I've been listening to, there's a, a new podcast or a fairly recent podcast out from Fangoria. I think it's called Nightmare University. I've been listening to some episodes of that and she talks, she mentions Blumhouse and then I was huh. like, okay, it's, she's like a doctor of, of something. <laughs> and, uh, and then I looked up interviews yeah. with him and I was like, okay, it's Blum. Ah, that's what we get to know for the future. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I I was on the fence. I was I, I could go either way on that one, but good, good to have a definitive answer. Yeah. Also, I feel like we should tell the listeners as a peek behind the curtain. I think we're gonna get. I'm confused myself as to what order we release episodes. Like we're recording this right <laughs> after the listener anniversary episode, but I feel like it could come out months from now. And I don't think I've mentioned it, but my wife and I have baby number two on the way in early August. So Ashwin and I are trying to get a steady backlog so that I can take a take a a break, not really a break for a while, but so that we can take a break and still release an episode every week. So we're getting kind of confused uh, as to what order these are going to come out in. Yeah, I know. For those who are like keeping track of like things we say on each episode. Yeah, if anyone's together. actually listening that closely and getting confused, <laughs> yeah. just wanted to clarify. Chances are that nobody would ever notice, but yeah, 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 uh, yeah. No, good, good, good call out there. Um, any uh, any other interesting facts on this one that you were able to find? Uh, only other interesting thing I had was that the screenwriter, um, what's his name, C. Robert Cargill, said that he got um, Ethan Hawke's character's name Ellison Oswald from writer Harlan Ellison and comedian slash writer Patton Oswald because he keeps books by both of those men on his shelves oh, so yeah. I'm guessing he was just kind of looking around the room and was like hey, all right <laughs> Ellison Oswald it is yeah but um that writer Harlan Ellison was born in Cleveland oh cool have you yeah. have you read any of his works I have not. No, he, I think he's kind of like a sci-fi slash fiction writer. Oh, okay, cool. Speculative cool. fiction writer. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Wow. Good find, man. That's that's pretty awesome. Uh, I, I'm actually really impressed. How'd you uh, how'd you go go down that rabbit hole? Or did you already know oh, that? Oh, that that fun fact was mentioned on Wikipedia, and then I just clicked on that dude's name. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. It took you to Cleveland, Ohio. Nice. Yep. Cool. Um, yeah. And I think, I mean, we'll talk about it later, but I think the music in this, in this movie was really outstanding. Oh man. Yeah. I thought so too. Some guy, Christopher Young or something did the music. Yeah. Christopher Young. And then they used some songs by, um, just songs from bands, uh, during the, some of the snuff films, especially like Boards of Canada. I think Boris was oh. there, a band called Aghast and a dude from, uh, Sun O. Who oh, I think yeah. has done something else that we watched too, but okay. But yeah, it was interesting. There was a lot of like ambient, um, not really like metal, but just like dark ambient music, and it was yeah very effective. I know. Yeah, at one point, like I was hearing it, and I was like, man, this could totally be like a Radiohead song or something. It just like felt like really layered and uh, very atmospheric and uh, like kind of beat driven. And yeah, yeah, another, yeah, the music was was pretty well done. Yeah. Yeah. Hard, hard yeah, to man, know that's where all the, I got. Yeah, it's kind of hard to know where the original score uh, stopped and ended, and where like some of these other artists came in. I, th- I thought it all like blended together very well. Uh, yeah, agreed. It did. I think most of like the Ethan Hawke moments um, were Christopher Young's score, and then most of the snuff films were 
songs from bands, but oh. I don't know that for a fact. And you're right. It was pretty seamless. So it, yeah. it all, it all meshed really well. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Pretty impressive. Okay, cool. Well, uh, do you want to take a break and then, uh, jump into the plot and the spoilers in our review? Yeah, that sounds good, man. All right, cool. Um, I'll be right back. I just need to go get some gas for my lawnmower. So, uh, give me a few minutes. I'll be right back. (laughs) Sounds good. All right, Brian, I'm back. Okay, man, you got your lawnmower gassed up? Yeah, yeah, you know, I was out all day uh, mowing yards today, and uh, we just started throwing in this special now where if, if uh, a homeowner gives us an extra 20 bucks, we'll put their uh, neighbors on, on the lawn as well as we mow it. So um, <laughs> you get your yard cut and get rid of some of those pesky neighbors. So That was the, is, the most terrifying scene of the movie to me. I know. And the way it like, comes up on you, too, it's just like a second or something. And Jesus. Yeah, it was almost like a jump scare, but it was just, it's this view, like a first person view of the lawnmower from like the operator's perspective. And then you like see the lawnmower moving through the grass. And then all of a sudden there's a person laying there with their face all torn up and their face, the lawnmower's headed right for their face and it cuts away and she's like, oh. Yeah. That's the interesting thing. Like, it's not even that we saw the lawnmower like really go over or like run people over. Uh, did we, or do you remember, like, do you, did you, do you remember seeing that? No. In fact, I read that they were kind of hoping for a PG 13 rating for this movie because there really isn't much blood or gore or, or violence on screen. It's just, I mean, there is violence on screen for sure, but, um, but there's no, there's no real blood except for the very end. Yeah. That's actually a really good point. Yeah. I I didn't put that together, but. You're right, yeah, but, for, like, how many, like, deaths happen in this movie or how many, like, kind of crazy torture killings happen. You don't see a lot of blood. Yeah, I mean, they slept an R on it, and I, I think that was the right decision because it's disturbing <laughs> yeah. as hell no matter how much you see. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. <laughs> All right, so, uh, yeah, let's talk about the plot, and heads up, we're going to hit uh, a lot of the spoilers here. Um, but, yeah, this movie kicks off with uh, just a scene of a family uh, that's tied to a, uh, a family of four that uh, has nooses around their neck. They're tied to a tree. Then one of the branches comes down, and you see them all get lifted in the air, kicking their feet and uh, dying. And it's all this is all on the eight millimeter camera, um, and you can't tell like really who's filming it or who's doing this, which I, I thought was a pretty disturbing opening sequence. Uh, did that sit with you at all? Yeah, very disturbing. Yeah, and, and I think we see that happen a few more times in the film. Uh, so then it cuts to present day and we're introduced to the main family, um, with Ethan Hawke, who's the father, his name's Allison. Uh, he's moved into this house with his family and it's the same house where these, uh, that we saw in this opening, uh, scene where there's the broken tree in the backyard and we know the family's died there. So his whole thing is he's a crime author and, uh, or a true crime author, I guess. Uh, and he's trying to write a book about the mysterious murders that happened in this house. Um, and I think, you know, that family that we saw in the beginning that was tied to the tree, we also come to learn that their daughter has gone missing. So while that family was hung from the tree, no one knows where the daughter is. And he's there because he thinks he can help figure it out. 
Um, and there, there's some good uh, conversation between him and his family. You kind of learn that they're struggling. Um, he like wrote a successful book maybe uh, a few years ago, but he hasn't been able to kind of follow it up successfully. And um, this is like kind of like his last chance. Like his family's under stress. They're like in, in poverty. They have like two mortgages. So uh, there's some tension right off the bat, which I thought was really cool. Um, did did you buy into the acting in the the lines there? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And like, it, and it was interesting because it was you couldn't totally grasp their financial sh- situation. Like that book was big, but it was ten years ago, and they moved into this house trying to sell their other house. And when they do show their other house, it's huge. It's like a mansion. Yeah. So yeah. they had a lot of money at one point, stretched themselves too thin, and now money's tight. Yeah, this is like the, the new kind of poor where like you're actually pretty, you've got like a nice car, you have like two houses, you have uh, a lot of stuff, probably a lot of debt though, maybe. I don't, I don't know. A, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's that an interesting phenomenon in society in general. Like people who are making a lot of money but don't have that much money because they're just spending it all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so now they have like these huge, like really nice things, but no money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is a theme actually in, in that fangoria podcast they had an episode on haunted house movies and this seems to be a theme in haunted house movies like a family in financial trouble who isn't going to easily just be like okay let's get the hell out of here bye yeah like (laughs) it gives him a little bit more reason to stay and he is more invested and more willing to stay too because he's trying to write a book about what happened in the house so yeah yeah true yeah that financial pressure also i guess combines uh to that feeling of being trapped there um but yeah in this one he also wants to write that book yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Half the time I was thinking like, man, get out of there, get a hotel for the night or rent an Airbnb or something. But I guess there's some pressure there. Yeah. There were a lot of times where I was just like, get your family the hell out of this house, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's screaming at the TV. Uh, so they move into this house in the attic. He finds a box of eight millimeter films and a, a film projector in there, um, which is pretty convenient given like he's there to like, you know, research what's going on. So he sets it up in his office and he starts watching them and finds out that each of the tapes are recordings of these families just getting like brutally murdered somehow. And, uh, you know, we have the scene of the family from that we saw in the beginning that's getting hanged. Um, and then we have like some other disturbing ones, like a family uh, getting like lit up in a car and set on fire. And then uh, one that's like, um, I, I think their throats are just slit at night. Uh, any, any, any other ones that jump out to you? At this point, did did you mention the pool one? Oh no, yeah, I forgot the pool one. Um, that was pretty we'll, disturbing. There were these people like on those like lay down lawn chairs. They were tied to them with tape over their mouths, and then the there was a rope tied to the lawn chairs, and he just well whoever it was pulled the rope, and they went into the pool and just drowned. Yeah, pretty. And you know up. what made it extra creepy was that they were all labeled like it would be labeled pool party and there was footage of the family like enjoying a pool party or day hit the pool and then yeah. the end is them drowning in the pool or like barbecue was yeah. a barbecue and them like burning in the car. Like their names were just like, oh. Yeah, these were like innocu- innocuous uh, names like for, for like these home videos. But they yeah, were like really family dark. hanging out, I think, or hanging around. Oh, or yeah, hanging yeah, with yeah, the family. fam, I think, was the hanging oh. one. Yeah, yeah. So someone's got like a dark sense of humor when they're titling yeah. these. Uh, yeah. So uh, he's watching all these films and it's like really disturbing him. Uh, and he starts to notice in each of the films, 
there's like a reflection of this white masked or this person who's wearing like a white mask and he assumes that like he's figured out the killer and that like that killer is tied to like all these different murders um what did you think of like this mask and the look that they made of the killer um i thought i thought it worked i didn't think it was anything mind-blowing but uh i think it worked How, how do you feel I thought it was pretty cool. It was like really simple. It was just kind of like a white mask, kind of like the guy in in Saw. I think kind of similar to that. Well, it did have a similar vibe, yeah. A jigsaw, I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah, but pretty pretty simple. I, I liked it. I thought it worked really well because like you would see like glimpses of it in the photos he was seeing or in the videos, and uh, and, and yeah, so he's starting to figure out there's some connection between all these killings. Um, and so each of the tapes show a different family that's being murdered and he enlists the help of a local police officer and he's able to start figuring out that these, uh, murders, these murderers kind of had the same themes where a whole family is murdered and typically one of the kids would go missing after the murder. Um, and I, I thought this local police guy was pretty funny. Did, did you like that character at all? Yeah, he was kind of a, trying not to be too fanboyish, but he was a fan of Ellison's writing and he was kind of dopey, but also kind yeah. of like unassumingly smart at the same time. He was he was a good character. Yeah, I know. He like he's like your typical towny guy. Like, uh, yeah, not not like super bright, but then yeah, he actually was a pretty intuitive person at the end. Almost like a little bit reminiscent of Dewey from Scream. Oh, oh yeah, 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 with the slicked back hair and everything. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's a good one. Uh, so yeah, th- so throughout the movie, he's basically watching these films. He's trying to like put this book together. He's realizing that these, some of these murders are connected. He thinks there's like one person going around killing people. Um, and while like he's watching this, uh, there's some, we get some, uh, like spooky nighttime sequences where like he'll hear thuds or like something in the house and he'll go to like look around. And, and this is like a lot of the movie is him like walking around this dark house, trying to figure out like what's going on there. Um, did you find like any of those nighttime sequences pretty scary or effective? Yeah. Yeah. I thought they were suspenseful. And I mean, what could have been a little bit monotonous or dull in another movie, like they were, they were all kind of like punctuated by the fact that he had just been watching these videos and just everything, every aspect of the movie added tension to the other aspects of the movie. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, there were a lot of jars here, like like his son having uh, night terrors. Like I'm, I'm still not sure if that's related to what was going on in the movie, but there are, like some scary scenes at night where like he'd find his son coming out of a box or like in the woods and just like screaming. Um, I, I don't know. Was it was that related to what was going on in the house? You know they they kind of hinted that it may have been, um, but it sounds like it's something that his son had been plagued with, and it may have been because his son, they implied that maybe his son had encountered some of the grisly details of some of the dad's research from previous stories at too young of an age. So I think that may have been why he had night terrors. And it was a big point of conflict between him and his wife. Like, you lock the door to your office. Don't tell the kids about what you're researching. Like, Yeah. So I think maybe they had already gone through that with the oldest kid and were trying to avoid it with, with the youngest girl. Yeah, I, I liked that family dynamic a lot. Like, I, I think they really set it up like they were all in tension. Uh, the wife was there, like, she was supportive, but she was also like, look, like, you're putting, you're doing this to our kids. Like, this is, we can't keep doing this. So it was kind of like, uh, yeah, it felt really real, like, the tension that was going on there. Yeah, and it felt a little bit like The Shining. Like, the dude 
really wanting to do something for his career and being so focused on that and putting his mm-hmm. entire family in jeopardy because of it and the wife being like, okay, I support you in this, but mm-hmm. there's a breaking point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I know. I I felt like Stephen King vibes throughout. Like, I mean, it's an author. He's like working on a book and then like this, this is going on. Um, yeah, I think The Shining is a good example there. Yeah. Um, so then, oh yeah, and so in one of these films, he's able to uh, see the symbol and he traces, he he, uh, he contacts like a local guy at a university or professor and uh, looking at that symbol, they figure out um, it ties back to this demon they called uh, Bagul, is that what it is? Bagul. Bagul, okay. Uh, who is like this demon that kills families and takes one of their children uh, and the way he's brought into the world is through anytime someone sees his uh, images or sees, um, I guess, yeah, see, I, I guess see him like on camera or like on a picture. Is that is that right? I think so, or like his symbols even. Um, sure. Yeah, it was a little unclear to me. Yeah, but kind of like the ring, where like if you see it, uh, that like bring that gives him a pathway into the world or something. Right. Right. Um, so this all culminates into one night where he's wandering around his house cause he's hearing these noises and he hears something from the crawl space and he sees like the ladder come down and it's open. And so he walks up and he sees the ghost of all these children are sitting there watching, uh, one of the films, uh, and it has this, uh, Bagul. Is that what we said? Bagul. Yeah. It has Bagul on, on the camera and suddenly like Bagul pops out and he's like, they're in the crawl space with Allison and uh like you know spooks him spooks all of us and elson like just runs out of there he finds all the tapes and sets them on fire and he tells his family like we just got to get out of here pack up we're getting out and uh so yeah they the family like at the middle of the night they just like pack into the car and head out and i, I don't know like this is something which i thought was really interesting because in films a lot of the times you're screaming at them to like get out of the house or uh, you know, get out of there. And it was kind of like a moment of uh, ease to suddenly see them like getting out of the house. I mean, did you have like a calming effect seeing that? Yeah, they give you the, uh, yeah, the sense of like finality, almost a relief, like, okay, they did it. And it's almost like this calm, reassuring scene. But then you see yeah. how much time is left in the movie and you're like, well, <laughs> it's not going to necessarily end this well. Yeah, yeah, I know. Like they move back into their old house. They even have a scene where, like, the sheriff stops them, and they're like, "We're taking your advice, and we're moving out." And they're yeah. And then we get a scene of them like unpacking in their old house, and they're all so happy about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Everything's like back to normal almost. Yeah. They they really trip you up here, and, and yeah, for a minute, like, I had a lot of hope. I'm like, oh, thank God, like, this family is going to survive. Um, but when they get home, uh, you know, it's late at night. Uh, he's getting some emails. Um, and he gets a call from the, the police officer that he was working with, uh, back at the old house. And that officer basically tells him that every family that was murdered on those tapes lived in a house that was previously occupied by one of the murdered families. So what would happen is a family gets murdered, another family moves there and then moves to another place and then they get murdered there. And, uh, so yeah, every, every time a family moves from a house where someone has been murdered, uh, they get murdered. So now Allison realizes he just like put his whole family in danger by moving them out of the house where that murder had happened. Um, but before he could do anything, he starts to feel dizzy and he sees like this green thing in his drink and he passes out. Uh, he wakes up and his whole family is t- tied up except his youngest daughter who's like walking around with a sledgehammer. Was that what that was? 
I think it was an axe. Oh, an axe. Oh, my God. And so she murders the whole family, like, after, you know, poisoning them and gagging them and tying them up. And she tapes it. And then she paints the walls of the house with their blood and puts, like, the the symbols of uh, Bagul up on the walls. And then she walks back and stares into the uh, film. And uh, she's staring at all the ghost children. And then uh, Bagul shows up behind her, picks her up, and uh, goes into the film. And then uh, the film ends with uh, Bagul just kind of popping out and, I guess, screaming at you. And then that's the end of the film. Yeah, Anything, one uh, last jump scare before before they wrap it up. Uh, one of the criticisms I saw in this film was it did rely heavily on jump scares. Did you feel that it, it was very dependent on those? No, they did a few with Bagul and maybe with some of the ghost kids, but that was not what made this movie scary. I, I agree. I, I feel like those kind of enhanced uh, the scary element, but overall, uh, I feel I feel like the film did carry itself even beyond those uh, jump out moments. Yeah, I thought the uh, I always think it's a little cheesy when they do one last jump scare like right before rolling credits, but uh, <laughs> but I can I yeah. can forgive that. I know. Yeah, I'm thinking about uh, we saw a movie I don't know a few weeks ago where that was like thrown in at the end necessarily that that chair being thrown at the screen. Yeah, terrified. Yeah, terrified, yeah. Yeah, it almost seems like as a horror film, you have like this obligation to do that. It's, it's such like a generic thing to do now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah, man. This was a scary movie. I know. I was like pretty spooked out. Like, I, I, this is one of the scary ones I think we've seen in a while. Um, what, what what did you like? Like, what, what did you think works? What, what are some of your criticisms of it? As we said, the music I thought was just perfect um it really enhanced the creepiness of the snuff films and yeah it tied together well throughout the whole movie even though it was kind of individual songs for the snuff films i liked that there was some levity with him and the dopey police officer and i thought Mm -hmm. the acting all around was pretty good and yeah just like the snuff films it's hard to even say it but they were really well done like yeah if you can picture like the creepiest thing you could find on a videotape like that, that is it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And something about it being on like eight millimeter, like makes it like so much scarier, like that old footage style and then combined with like the music you mentioned, like, yeah, it just, they, the, the way they captured that was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, man. I liked, I liked a lot of things about this movie. I mean, it was, it was hard to watch and it was kind of like one of those movies where you kind of have a like sick feeling in your stomach for a good chunk of it. Yeah. Um, some of the ghostly kids, I don't know. I could have taken her, taken her, left them. Um, but, but yeah, I don't think they really were too big of a detriment to the the movie as a whole. Um, mm-hmm. the, what the about kids you? Were, man? Oh, go ahead. Yeah, uh, the the kids were a really interesting add-in because I don't know. Like, I mean, I think at first when they pop up, they're kind of scary. But then they're almost like kind of playful. Like, I don't know if the kids are meant to be like scary on an ongoing basis or are they just like kind of there to supplement like the the main guy? Yeah. Um, yeah, they were kind of just like running around the house at the end. It was it was a little silly almost. Yeah. Yep. Um, uh, yeah, I, I wasn't sure about that. But no, I, I agree with you on everything. Like, yeah, the music I thought really did a good job in uh, accompanying the film well. Uh, I also thought like the the pacing was really good, and I, for some reason uh, I was like kind of really attached to this family. Like I don't know what was different about this one versus other films we've seen, but they just like felt like really real, and you're really uh, hoping that like they survive this whole ordeal. 
Um, so it's just unfortunate. But I don't know. I, I just, for some reason, had, uh, yeah, I feel like they really did the character development in a great way. Did, did you feel that? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, a lot of it's a little bit generic, like we've talked about before, how it reminds you of other movies, you know, family, so many haunted house movies, a family moves into a new house. They're not from around there. Something strange with the house. And the dad's really driven by a certain goal he has and isn't really listening to his family who wants to just get out of there. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a little um, formulaic, but I, I think it's a formula that works most of the time. And I think they did it well. Yeah, no, that's um, true. I, th- I think that's like the one knock I, I might have uh, is is like that whole idea of it being formulaic. Because you're right, like that story of like an author who's like so dedicated to his work that's that's been done a number of times, and then like kind of the idea of something you see on film that like kind of contaminates you or it becomes contagious or whatever. Uh, that's kind of like the ring. So I I think you're right. Like a lot of this stuff is borrowed from other films, but um, yeah, I mean you can't be 100 percent original, right? Yeah. Um, I, with a couple of other of our friends, I have a little bit of a book club and one of our friends who I I will not name because I hated the book so much had us read this book. I don't think he like thought highly of it. He just randomly picked it. I think it was called the way of the superior man. It was like a spiritual guide for men. Uh huh. And it was like the most misogynistic thing I had read it. It was just, I hated it. But yeah. One of the points that he had in the book is that, like, he, like, super generalized every couple. Like, every man is, like, a stereotype of a man, and every woman is a stereotype that he has in his mind of a oh, woman. Oh, God. Yeah. But um, he was saying how, like, a man's life and purpose is driven by goals or, like, what he wants to accomplish, and a woman's life and purpose is, you know, family and relationships. Wow. Um, not not how I feel, but that's, that's what this book said. And I do see that a lot in some of these haunted house movies, like, yeah, like the shining. And they have an argument in this movie, kind of like as things are getting tense. Um, she's like, he sees like the book and the success of the meaning of his life. And like these books are his legacy. And the wife's like, the meaning and purpose of your life is our marriage and your legacy is your kids. Mm-hmm. And it is interesting. I mean, it, you say what you will about the how wrong it is to pigeonhole a man or a woman and their roles in the marriage and the family. But that is a theme we see a lot in these movies. Yeah. Yep. A man that's just like so tied to their work and like that's like the the world for them and the woman's like kind of trying to balance them out and uh, talk more about the family. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think it makes for good, for a good story. And I think that, I think it's because it's a very human problem. Like we all get pretty wrapped up in our day to day and our careers or whatever our goals might be, even if it's just like, oh, I really want to get the house in order that you forget Mm -hmm. to put the appropriate importance on what really matters in life. And I think a lot of times that's what some of these horror movies are about because, and you get so frustrated with the main character uh, usually a parent for like not doing what's best for their kids. Yeah. Right. Being so like single minded and like focused on one thing and like kind of forgetting the whole family behind them. Yeah. 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 That's true. I, I, I do feel that a lot of times, like, yeah, a lot of times in movies, you're, especially in horror films, you're like, you know, yeah, put your family first, like get it, get out of there. Like, uh, you know, they, I feel like so many times you're with these parents and they're either stressed about their careers or finances or like other things that they are putting their safety and their family's safety at jeopardy. 
uh, and that, that seems to be like a running, uh, yeah, trouble area for, for these victims in horror films. Yeah. Yeah. I think it makes a good emotional backdrop to a, to a scary story. Yeah. As, I would love as to as tired s- as it might be. Yeah, I mean, I would love to see like uh, movies reverse that dynamic, like maybe where it's like the wife that's so uh, you know hung up on the career, and the, the 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 husband's like trying to like say let's get out of here or something. I think that'd be kind of fresh. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think that would be a really intriguing movie. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, cool. Any, anything else to add? Or I, I guess, how many families in burning cars would you give this one? Uh, I give it four families in burning cars. I thought it was really, really good. I don't know. My my gut feeling was just that it's a four. I, I don't have a good reason for not giving it a five. Maybe it's just because <laughs> similar to how I gave Hereditary four. It's just hard to uh, hard to say. Like I love this movie. It's it's pretty rough. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's effective. It's it's scary and everything. Um, I I feel you. Like I I can't knock this movie on anything. Like I, I feel like it deserves a five, but I think I'd give it a four and a half. Uh, just maybe because I, I feel like that other half. I think if it was like a little more original or something more like brand new, uh, I, I think that would have done it for me. But I thought for what it was, it, it did like a really good job in the production and everything. You know, one thing I could have um, I could have seen improving it was maybe have the daughter be a bit more of a developed character because oh. she ends up being the killer in the end, and you I at least kind of realized at some point like okay, all these kids are missing, and you never see the killer like it's the kids. Mm-hmm. But I think it would have just made it sting a little bit more at the end if you knew more about the daughter or if she had had more screen time when when you That's see true. her with the axe. That's kind of like hereditary, right? Where like you spend all that time with the son, and so when when he uh, all right, well I guess at the end he never became crazy though. Uh, don't, yeah, don't no, spoil I, hereditary. I, oh, yeah, <laughs> I no, I, I I hear you, man. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. They they could have uh, the, the kids. You didn't you didn't get too much time with them. Um, yeah, I did love the. I think it's the last line of the movie. The daughter says to her dad, as "She's about to kill him. Don't worry, daddy. I'll make you famous again." Oh yeah, Jesus! Yeah, that was solid. <laughs> that was dark and scary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I guess uh, for me, it's a success because we see so many movies where like kids are just utilized in like the bad victim way. That's just like kind of annoying, and they're just supposed to look cute and uh, be these this like you know waste of character or whatever. Uh, so I, I did appreciate that they did more with the kids, or they, they didn't kind of like go that route with these kids. Yeah, yeah. There's plenty of other creepy kids from the previous snuff films but the kids in this individual family weren't like the typical saying vague stuff or like seeing things at night in their room yeah and there was a little bit of that but yeah yeah making those dumb i think they were they were treated as characters a bit more yeah right and then one becomes the killer yeah pretty messed up well cool man (laughs) anything else to add to this one no that's all i got all right Actually, well, uh, no, I would add, if yeah. you ever, if you do think about this movie and you're creeped out, just imagine Bagul sitting at a desk trying to think of the names for those tapes, and <laughs> I can't decide if that makes him more or less creepy. He's got, I'd love to see the ideas that he's got, like, thrown away in his trash. Yeah, like a trash a trash can full of, like, VHS yeah. labels, or I guess yeah. film reel labels. Film labels, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's good. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, that, that's it for our discussion today on Sinister. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. That'll help other people find our show. And we very much appreciate your feedback. 
If you want to join the discussion, you can find our social links on our website, horrormovieclub.com, or you can shoot us an email at podcast at horrormovieclub.com. We'll be announcing next week's movie on Facebook and Twitter in case you want to watch it before the next episode. Our logo is by Amy Mae Popart, so check her out on Etsy.com. And until next time, if you're planning to kill some people and record it, try to come up with a, a few names beforehand so you're not panicking at the end uh, trying to come up with that name.